Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. This is Anne-Marie Lockhart, and you're listening to Vox Poetica's 15 Minutes of Poetry. I have a guest from New Jersey today, which I always like to have guests from New Jersey. I know you know that already. Um, today, we're talking to Dale Lessler. Dale, thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much for inviting me. Are you still digging out of snow, or um, has that kind of passed and left it cold in its wake, and that's just good enough for now? Well, the only remnants are the sore muscles that uh, you don't use, <laughs> um, but but every so often, and you wish you'd had you know exercise more so that it wouldn't hurt so much later. <laughs> that's why uh, I like yes. to go to the gym and, and shovel snow. <laughs> the joys of winter, uh huh. Yes, winter in New Jersey at least. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, we're going to start with a poem. Let's hear it. All right, this one's titled, What If That Day Don't Come? Hmm. What if that day don't come, that day that we've all been waiting on? What if those words have no sound? What's going to be around then? Waiting ain't helping. Hurting keeps hurting. Burning deep in my soul, looking for a place to go. Looking around for that someplace where there's no one that you face that's going to make me feel better. That if not now, you tell me then, when? Waiting on helping, hurting keeps hurting, running deep in my soul, just looking for a place to go. Hmm. Now, I like that poem as your first choice because I think it introduces us to some of the thematic stuff that you work with. And I think a lot of what you write um, is personal philosophy and asks a lot of questions and it's introspective. And um, it's a little, there's a universal quality to that. There's also tends to be a little bit of a uh, conversational feel to it. Um, there's a lot of wordplay in it. I think this poem kind of picked up on a lot of those things. When did you write that? Uh, that was actually uh, August, uh, or I'm sorry, it's July of this year, of 2012, mm. and uh, that was uh, probably right after uh, a workshop that I had attended in Delaware, and um, I, it was to address my, uh, you know, primarily I think it was to address my my procrastination, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah, like, what if that day don't come? You know, that that, that day that I'm going to write the perfect poem or uh, or say the, the the perfect line or you know, or, or throw that necklace on with a big gold writer uh, emblem mm. on. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's uh, and that's I think classic. It's classic writer's thought. You know, yeah, it'll come. I'm just not ready yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh my God, if it shows up. <laughs> then, then, what am I, then what am I gonna do? <laughs> right, uh, right. So, um, what I wanted to ask next too, and, and that that brings me kind of in the opposite direction of, so we we do all spend an awful lot of time waiting for that day to come. But how long have you been writing for? Well, actually, I started writing as a teenager, uh, mainly because I had no one to talk to. So, mm-hmm. in lieu of talking to myself, I started mm-hmm. talking with myself. Hmm. And that's been, as you said, thematic in, in much of my writing. 
You know, it's, it's, it's interesting sometimes where we start that just builds a voice, and that voice is definitely there. And I'm curious to know um, if over the years you've you found it changes or if it feels very much similar in an in a, in a original sense to the way it felt when you started doing it. Well, I think that the, it changes, <laughs> you know, uh, you ask the question and then you answer the question, and of course that that answer only asks more questions. Um, <laughs> so, uh, uh, and as as life affects us and mm-hmm. and draws lines on our face, as it were, um, mm. and we collect more things in the sack we carry with us, there's more questions about well, why do I still carry that that piece of crap? Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, what, you know, why does that matter? Um, why do I care so much about what, some, what someone might think about me or uh, yeah. if they don't think about me at all? Right. Yeah, it's so, a, one question leads to another, and that can carry on for a lifetime. Yeah, uh, that's true. Uh, Let me... Um, but I think yeah. what helps is to know that some of the questions that I ask are, as you said, universal, that other writers yeah. actually have those same kinds of questions and, and motivation is to try and put a phrase or a word to papers and then share them with others. I think that's one of the things that I'm, I know I've experienced being in a workshop with you. You know, we're in a room and we're all sharing our writing and then you read something like that and then we all go off on tangents kind of along that same vein. It raises other stuff and other people to work on next. And it's a little, um, it's universal and it's also inspirational because it gets you thinking, you know. Yes, I, I, we had attended a workshop together, and I remember the one moment when half of us were laughing and half of us were crying. Yeah. At, at someone's <laughs> response. It That's was, right. It was a, a wonderful experience. Tell us a little bit about that um, workshop experience for you, what it does to your writing, what, what the value of it is. A little, any, kind of go off on it for us. Tell us about it. Well, all right. Well, the, the first thing uh, for me... Um, personally is that generally I'm uh, either the only or one of the very few males at a writing mm. workshop. Um, mm-hmm. so it, most of the workshops I've attended would have been predominantly with men. And um, it's real clear that uh, there's a different voice <laughs> and a different perspective yeah. <laughs> uh, on, on things. Uh, and and that's, that actually is quite inspirational. Um, I get to hear uh, personal revelations uh, from the other side, as it were, um, and which helps deepen my understanding and compassion. And I hope I do the same for them as well. Uh, and uh, I, mean, but I think the bigger piece is not the gender, but the experience of being with creative, non-judgmental people. Mm-hmm. That as a writer, I carry my own harshest crit with me all the time. Mm-hmm. And so to have a few people say, no, 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 put that aside. That's okay. No, you don't have to, you don't have to, to fix that right now, give me the essence of what it is you need to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it helps me to find strategies to quiet the critic long enough to get the message out. And yeah. then when I need to edit or prepare for publication, then, you know, then okay, then we have, can bring this other guy in who's got the red pen. Yeah. You know, um, and it's funny because I'm thinking about the experiences we've had in workshops together. We've both attended um, Joanne Lazar Glenn's retreats, 
in in uh, Rehoboth Beach that were amazing. And I just want to give a shout out to her for being just a, a phenomenal um, workshop leader. And that that whole program that she's put together there is just it's just incredible. It's just beneficial to writers and creatives on all levels. And it's great to have that inspiration of the other writers there. She she does amazing things with exercises. She comes up with some great ideas. I've, I've reverted to the things I've learned with her many, many, many times, you know, and it's been helpful every single time. Um, so I definitely wanted to give everybody, a, a, you know, an FYI there. If you're ever looking for something to do and you're in the, either the D.C. area, Northern Virginia, you can find Joanne Lazar Glenn there. She does local things, but she also does travel abroad stuff. So Google her, find her. You can, can get into those programs. They're amazing. Um, you also work with the writers' group, don't you, Dale? Uh, yes, uh, I, I meet about once a month with uh, five other writers, um, in which uh, we contribute a, a written poem, uh, and then we sort of discuss the the effect and affect of the poem itself, hmm. uh, and so there's a between three and five poems that we read in the evening. And then we dedicate at least 20 minutes to free write. Hmm. And then we read our free write, and then um, then we actually get feedback <laughs> about the effect and the effects of our personal writing. So it sort of completes a, a creative circle of kind of mm-hmm. an opening up, uh, a kind of exploration and a disclosure, and then a feedback and what I like to call the final embrace, and, mm. and then goes to closure. Um, how long have you been meeting? So I would highly recommend if you could find people to write with on yeah. a regular basis. That it it, uh, it first of all it gives you a reason to write, and secondly yeah. it gives you a means to write, and then thirdly it sometimes gives you something to write about, and, and yeah. most importantly it gives you a, a a place to be who you are with people who won't judge you. Yeah. This group that you're working with now, how long have you been meeting as a group? Um, I think we're going on five years. Wow. Yeah. That's a and great it, long it, time. You have a history together and a knowledge of each other's work, and it, it, the chemistry there has to be really inspiring. Yes. Yeah. Um, it, 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 it's originally inspired by the work of John Fox, who was a poetic therapist, uh, in mm. his book, Finding What You Didn't Lose. Hmm. All right. Now, the next question I have actually isn't a question. Well, it is a question. It's, <clears throat> do you um, have something else you'd like to read for us? <laughs> Aha. <laughs> All right. Um, yes. <laughs> this, one, uh, this one This one. hopefully has a very familiar feel to it. It's called Question, Answer, Question. A voice from beyond the door. I walk down the street. Each step propels me forward. Destination unknown. It's just like my life. Step after step, unmostly familiar ground, as the saying goes. I fall into a hole. I didn't see it. It was it was unintentional. I defend my circumstance. Being there is kind of an act of fate or even a result of a number of chances. An accident. It's not my fault. I claim confusion. After all, who would ever put all the steps in just the right order needed to deliberately ruin themselves? 
I wouldn't do that. That would be crazy. I walked down another street, wiser, with the memory of the whole, whole experience. Having learned my lesson, I'm grateful for the help of others who have pointed out how they used to walk. And just as I diligently swear to pay attention to where I'm going, I fall off the curb into another deep hole. I'm very discouraged. I feel very sorry for myself. I curse my upbringing, my past, my family, and all my so-called friends. I breathe in and out, in and out, and in and out. Having done this before, I know I must get real dirty in order to climb my way out. I wonder what happened, why I didn't see the hole. What really happened? What was I paying attention to instead? I am discovering that I am on an unholy path, a mythic quest for a significant treasure. Yes, that must be it. No, I'm just going to the hardware store for milk again. (laughs) See, back to those questions, those universal questions again. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) You know, I'm thinking back to what you just said about being in the workshops and the um, emotional experience of it. And the room is laughing and half the room is crying. I, I'm also, um, and the gender breakdown in the room, it always struck me that, in fact, at those, at those specific retreats, and, and it's not just limited to those that we've been to, but others that I've been to as well, it's almost like um, having a few men in the room of all women, you would think it would be <coughs> like um, a calming effect you know, it would soothe some of the estrogen down. The women would get a little less talkative. But in fact, I think it just opened up the door a little bit for the men in the room. And I think there's there was an emotional um, openness that the men brought to that table, which was very refreshing and a little bit unexpected. Because some of the times when half of us were crying, both of the men in the room were right there with them. It was a very accessibly emotional experience. And I think... Um, Sometimes you have to kind of shift the gender balance to, to kind of access those spaces because we're not expecting that. And uh, I, I think that was, that was kind of a great thing about it. And it allowed people to kind of um, channel some of that into their writing and, and hopefully to take that away with them, you know, after we were done with the workshop into whatever we were working on next from that same space. Well, I guess I can say that... Uh, <laughs> um, Whenever I, as a human being, become opened up, uh, it makes it uh, easier uh, and a more familiar place to return to. Mm. Um, uh, although it's it's sometimes difficult uh, and uh, to do in the, the world of work versus mm-hmm. the world of uh, creative writing. Yeah. Uh, so. Um, uh, on some level, it's it's like picking up a seashell on your trip to the shore. You take it yeah. back, and then when you think to, to, to look at it and hold it and recreate the environment in which you acquired it, that memory uh, becomes present and more yeah. And a reminder, oh, I should yeah. do that again. This is so good. What, um, tell us about your day job a little bit, because I, I, this is it's very different from what you're doing in your workshop space. <laughs> yes. Um, in my, my day job, I'm actually a technical contracts manager. Um, I, I work with uh, a uh, computer 
computer vendor who, who deals with the uh, collection of revenues uh, for transportation on buses mm. and trains and, and uh, for us in, in our in the New York region area, you know the, the fare gates that uh, that you would pass through when you go on the subway or on the MTA or the LRR or NJ Transit. Uh, so uh, it's, it's it's highly technical, uh, and mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's it, it's a challenge to actually be creative in that regard. Uh, and I think for me the challenge is one of uh, explicitness. Um, to try and bring my my peers to a place of conversation that is not filled with cliches like out of pocket, <laughs> uh, you know, or off the ranch, uh, kinds of, of, of colloquialisms that that make no sense, um, you know. Uh, uh, so even even swallowing the bitter pill of truth is not something that that I would like to hear in a meeting, which happens frequently. So for me, uh, the, the creative challenge is, uh, you know, can I infuse uh, just a little more, po- little more poetic sensibilities and uh, explicitness and authenticity in language? Yeah. Uh, I guess the, the one example that jumps to, to the front of my forehead is we have a system, and on the system there's this tab that's called back office, uh, which is innocuous enough. What's a back office? Well, you know, the assumption is it's a machine someplace else. Mm. But in our industry, there are hundreds of machines in hundreds of offices. Which one are you referring to? <laughs> and it's about layers. And, yeah, so uh, it, it, uh, it's a confusing, complex series of languages that sometimes uh, only poetry can break through. <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. It's a rock with a pane of glass. Well, how difficult – well, maybe that's not the question – how often do you find some of that technical language creeping its way into your creative language, or does that not happen at all? Uh, I don't find that to be the case. Uh, hmm. uh, but you know, it's, it's a reminder to try and be clear and, yeah. and, and not to uh, be vague in, in my yeah. references. Yeah. Uh, so to, to, to certainly to pay attention to not only what I say, but which words uh, carry what kind of meaning uh, yeah. to me and to someone else who might hear it. Do you find, um, do you ever get like a, an idea for a poem while you're at work? You know, something is happening at the job and it makes you think, oh, I've got to write about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, uh, oddly, no. Uh, I, I think perhaps <laughs> since, since poetry is my retreat from work, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I don't tend to bring work in, into into my retreat. <laughs> so that, that's why so, you know in pro, the previous references, I try to take my poetry into work, try to make it less uh, less structured, I guess. Do you ever do you ever like share that with the the people that you work with, or no? It's separate <laughs> terrain. <laughs> no, uh, uh, it is my perception, and I fully own it, that uh, it would not be welcome. Or, or, or not mm-hmm. welcome to with much receptivity, that it right. would uh, tend to make people feel uncomfortable, uh, mm. that they would assume it's inappropriate in the in this arena for them. Mm. Yeah. So uh, there are I, I do have a, a few select friends here at work who know that I write, and yeah. um, one or two that I've shared some of the things that I've written. But once again, uh, given that it's 
it's work. It's, uh, we don't generally discuss it during business hours. Yeah. Unless we're out at long, away from the office. Yeah. Now, in terms of inspiration, because we have, um, you know, when, when you're in a workshop setting, in a retreat setting, you're, of course, extremely open to inspiration. That's what you're there for. And you're suggestible because you're engaging in exercises that are designed to find that for you and to help you locate those, those inspirations all around you. Um, I, I want you to talk a little bit about one specific thing that, that happened on, um, I guess it was the last retreat I was at with you, and it was, um, you know, tell us about the, the house, 57 and a half. Um, <laughs> just tell us what uh, happened there with that. <clears throat> how, how, do I, how do I even start? Um, <laughs> I am, and, and, and unfortunately, I'm in front of my computer, so as you speak, I can bring up the picture. Uh, uh, there, in, in Rehoboth Beach, there is this very small house, which is one room wide. Yeah. Right? So the whole house itself is only one room wide. Um, and it's on a half a lot. So you've got a half a house <laughs> on a half a lot. And the address is 57 and a half. Um, <laughs> I, I think it was Bramble Beach uh, Road or something. Yeah. Um, and, and so it caught my attention, and I took a photograph of it one year. And it sat for a year. And and then I, I looked at the photograph and I said, gee, I wonder who lives there. <laughs> What's the story with this house? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so that was sort of my inspiration on that. Is that just, well, who would buy half a house? <laughs> um, <laughs> is, it, is it a half a family? I don't know. And so um, that, was, that was the piece that, that sort of stuck in my mind. And I, and I wrote to that uh, about the house and what I uh, assumed or presumed was would be its its story uh, of its family, um, and and then I said, well, wait a minute, you know, we other people have noticed this house at the workshop, so I invited them to to I shared my story with them and said, well, you know, do you have any thoughts about this house? And there was, uh, I believe there were about uh, twelve of us at the retreat, yeah. and uh, received I, I think nine stories. Um, about this particular house, and yeah. one of the other writers uh, noticed that there was a, a for rent sign uh, <laughs> called the owner, <laughs> and actually shared um, a book that, that that I created from these nine stories uh, with the owner, uh, yeah. and and they shared it with their parent who actually purchased the house and so. It, it, the whole thing took on a life of its own, way beyond whatever I started to do. All I said, <laughs> isn't that odd, 57 and a half, and it's half a house. <laughs> so, uh, but there are things that, like that that sort of catch my attention and then become inspirations. Do you have in front of you, do you happen to have that poem that you wrote, that, that you wrote for that house, the piece that you wrote uh, that started it all off? Uh, let's see. Uh, Yes, I do. What a peculiar address. It begs to be used in a good vacation novel. This tiny two-story blue house with white trim 
seems but one room wide. The end of a series of round stone steps nestled with white beach gravel, a small enclosed porch with a rising smiling sun in one window, and a stained glass seascape complete with spread-winged seagulls in the other. Just two steps up cheerfully greet any guest who would arrive. A quick scan about the yard gives the impression that children once occupied this dwelling, a rusty, white-walled, fat-tired, maybe antique, curled bike rests tiredly against a gray stockade fence, keeping the half-lot from the back neighbor's yard. A red radio plow wagging jacketed with rust that prevents any further deterioration has dropped, handled, and rests among the dried fallen remnants of brown paper leaves from many autumns ago in a corner of the stony play area. A sitting bench slightly in front of the porch could be just the right height to be a small child's play table. All this a mere observance of a neglected, lonely exterior, empty of long, silent, sweet giggles, squeals of delight, as young ones run in mock horror at being tagged, you're it, or even the playtime song of hide and seek, Ollie Ollie in free. This compact domain must have been sufficient for a family ripe with the promise of a couple of weeks at the beach. On any typical day, Mom would shoot the kids outside to busy themselves with play while she prepared all those necessities for the trek down to the water. Dad would always carry the umbrella, the chairs, and anything too heavy for anyone else while Mom would pack the big, scratchy wooden beach blanket, the pails and shovels, lotions and nose plugs, towels and the AM transistor radio. But most importantly were the snacks. Long before school bought juicy boxes and prepackaged snack packs, there were the steel green thermos bottles of cherry Kool-Aid, peanut butter and strawberry jelly with golden seed sandwiches wrapped in wax paper. If we were good, just maybe, there would be a butter pecan cookie or a celery and carrot sticks or sliced apples that were really, really juicy. juicy. Boy, those were especially good on those extra hot days. These would carry us through the day into late afternoon when reluctantly we would return sun-baked to the beach house for a game of Monopoly or life while hamburgers and hot dogs, coleslaw and potato salad would fill our plates as we watched the sun surrender to the seascape once more. Sadly, in today's world of frenetically friending on Facebook and attaining and the attention-stealing electronic distractions of a demanding game console, it appears as if the times for such small, simple pleasures of saltwater, wave skimming, sandcastle building, and baking in the sun while reading a book have all but lost and left there and left to go fallow just like the house at 57 and a half Baltimore Avenue. I love that one. That was great. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. We're, uh, we're out of time. We're totally out of time, but I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your day and uh, sharing a lot of your inspirations and experiences with the written word. Thank you, Dale. Thank you for all your good work, Tim Marie. We are done for today, everybody. I hope you had as much fun listening as I had having this conversation, and I hope you'll listen again. Um, next week I'll be talking with two young ladies from different parts of the country about a creative project that will be going on in February that you should check out. In the meantime, have a great week, everyone. Um, that next week is going to be Friday, by the way, not Thursday, so just something to keep in mind. Um, have a great week. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. <laughs>